0: i the two one of Brass. Carson Cecchini. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the prospect writer, the the big main prospect writer for Fangraphs. Is responsible uh, every year for the various organizational top fifteen prospect lists. Uh, responsible every year for the top one hundred prospect list uh, for all of baseball and the midseason update. Uh, to same, it is Mark Hewitt. Recently, Mark Hewitt has written previews uh, for all six. Of um, the Arizona Fall League teams, which will be participating in in that league, uh, come uh, early early October. And what follows, what I do is uh, is give Mark Hewlett some prompts uh, that might allow us to investigate the, those preview pieces uh, in some in more depth. It's what either uh, Herman Melville or uh, Lord Alfred Tennyson, or Alfred Lord Tennyson, he would he would like to go in by both, uh, would call uh, finding a little lower layer. I forget if it's. Melville or Tennyson. Uh, we'll look that up. We'll look that up. Uh, but in the meantime uh, do prepare yourself uh, for this edition of Fangraphs Audio which as I say uh, features very Canadian Mark Hewlett discussing the Arizona Fall League and uh, which begins right now. About a year. About a year. Okay. A uh, year and a bit. A year and a bit? A year and a month. Do you, uh... I imagine when you're a new a new parent, you're like, you're likely to celebrate the, um... You know, every, uh... Whatever. Every week. Whatever. Do you... Is it less... With the second kid, do you say, eh?
1: Celebrate with a bottle of wine? Is that what you
0: mean? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think children are supposed to drink that much, are they? But, uh... It depends if they go to bed on time or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, well, good. You'll you'll show up in uh, Parent Parenting Monthly soon, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely. All right. All
0: right. Well, let's uh, let's do this so that you can uh, return to your patriarchal duties. All right. Um, I'm going to make sure the levels are good here. You uh, <clears throat> you've recently been producing for the site a series of. Um, Preview pieces, as it were, for the Arizona Fall League. That's right. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a true fact. And uh, we're going to discuss. I guess we'll discuss those lists. We'll discuss the AFL a little bit, and uh, I want to look at certain players, um, not just in and of themselves. Of course, this is uh, as as per usual. Not not just in and of themselves, but also uh, uh, what they might represent, uh, what they might teach us about prospects, prospect analysis, etc. Sure. Um, so let's talk talk about the Arizona Fall League uh, briefly, uh, just in and of itself, um, as, as its own thing. It begins. It begins when? When do we think it begins? If you had to guess. Uh,
1: Arizona Fall League. If I had to guess, I'd say mid October.
0: Okay. All right. That sounds good. This is not. Is this the sort of thing that we think is available uh, on the internet? Oh, in, in fact, it does appear to be. Yes. Uh, Tuesday, October eighth. Uh, so you're oh, better, right? There you go. Not yeah, too there, bad. There you are. So let's say, let's say, uh, it starts at, <laughs> on Tuesday, October 8th. Um, we'll say that's a fact. And, um, you provided, uh, uh, you provided, well, the way you've done it this year is to look at each of the teams <clears throat> and not necessarily go through every player, but to say, uh, to, uh, to sort of, uh, look at various Players who are remarkable for one reason or the other. So, for example, you'll talk about a, a, a player whose team now will be have to making some manner of roster decision, or a player uh, who uh, who's coming off of injury, or a player who's a sleeper for some reason. Okay. Yeah, that's what you've done. You agree? <laughs> you agree?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, I completely agree. You okay,
0: completely agree. This is what you've done. <laughs> um, and uh, well, so let's so let's uh, let's look at some of those The uh, well, first of all, with regard to player development, What what is the sort of use of the Arizona Fall League, perhaps stated use, and then also maybe, uh, if it's different, how the teams do actually use it?
1: I think in general most teams use it as a as a way for players to get just additional reps and additional experience. A lot of the players who are in the league are ones who missed part of the season due to injury, so they're sort of catching up on that. Um, and then there's a the other the other aspect I guess is that there's a number of players who are in the league that are on the cusp of earning a 40 man roster spot. and the clubs this is sort of the last chance for the clubs to get a look at them before they have to make that decision in in November uh, when they set the forty man rosters.
0: So we're looking yeah for for one reason or another <clears throat> players who need. We need more time on the field, whether it's because for their own development or the sake that they could be monitored by the parent club. Yeah, and
1: a lot of times they specific players that they want to go to work on something in particular. So maybe there's a, a pitcher who needs to um, strengthen his third pitch, a changeup maybe. Or there's a hitter who is maybe moving positions and they want him to get more experience at second base or in center field or wherever it might be.
0: So I remember a couple years ago, this was after he'd already made his major league debut, but before he was a twenty one player uh, over the course of two seasons, Mike Trout went. Um, yeah. Mike Trout had already done – it seemed had already done everything he could in the minor leagues. Uh, we're at a point now where Minnesota has elected to send Byron Buxton uh, to, uh, to camp – um, this is not a precisely the same thing because I think at, at, at that stage Trout had already uh, dominated, you know, double A if not triple A, had already made an appearance in the major league team, um, and yet, but you still are, are wondering what about um, what what the Twins' motivation for sending Buxton might be. Uh, what is your what are your questions for or wh- why is it that you might question that and um, and I guess uh, why do you think the Twins are sending him?
1: Well, I did touch on it in in one of the pieces I wrote for the preview. Um, when you send a player who's had a long season like Buxton has, um, you you risk that player, at least in my opinion, you risk that player um, or, or that player has a higher risk uh, of injury because he's quite often playing tired, um, and then your reactions are a little bit slower, and then you're you're more apt to to not, maybe not get out of that 90, out of the way of the 95-mile-an-hour fastball or, um, you know, something like that. Why the Twins are doing it, I guess maybe they're looking to the trout factor and the fact that the Angels did it with him. And, and clearly the next season there was absolutely no lasting impact on, on the long season the year before. And, in fact, he had an, an amazing season. So maybe the Twins are looking at that and saying, you know what, there's no such thing as too much experience and uh, we don't really see a risk in this and I don't really have anything to specifically validate what I'm what I'm saying and that you know I think it puts players at at a greater risk of injury I think it just is one of those things that kind of makes sense Um, I if I were the twins I probably wouldn't have put Buxton in the league just because I don't want to risk that injury factor I think he's had you know a really strong season he's coming off a his confidence should be at an all time high. Um and I would kind of just let him go off into the, the off season and sort of mellow and get away from it all for a while and, and then come back strong in the spring.
0: Well I remember when when Trout participated in, in the fall league that year, he was miserable. Um his his slash stats were miserable and his defense independent numbers, you know, like the rate at which he was uh, walking and striking out and and homering relative to the other players in the league was also miserable. I mean, he was one of the worst hitters in the entire league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And pretty much anyone who saw him play and, and filed a report said that he looked exhausted. And you know, they everyone kind of wondered why he was there. But again, it, it in the long run, it really didn't have any negative impact whatsoever.
0: What do you suppose exhaustion means? Maybe I, I don't know if I'm barking up a a tree that even exists here. Uh, but what do you suppose in this context exhaustion means, and how does it how does a scout go about? Also, do you have a squeak? You have a squeaky chair. What does this <laughs> sound? Is this a child or an animal? Or?
1: That would be my dog deciding to play with, to
0: toy at the most inopportune time. <laughs> okay. The uh, well, what does exhaustion look like in a play? I, I, maybe it's a moronic. I know what tired people look like. Um, yeah.
1: So I mean the. It, it's just the way that they react to the ball, the way they react to, to pitches. Um, you know, if they're timing a player and, and how quickly they're getting down the line, that'll show up in in, in their running times. And, and just, you know, scouts are so, so good at noticing little oddities of, of all the different players that they can pick up on things like that quite easily. So it's just a matter of the reactions are slower, their foot speed's slower, the bat speed is maybe slower. Um, so that's pretty much what what it looks like
0: right okay now uh, before before we get to any more players uh, specifically, I think that um, one thing I'd like to establish or ask about is something that might inform the rest of our discussion. The Arizona Fall League has a reputation um, as a league with a uh, that's played in a high run environment. Uh, this right. is certainly borne out by the numbers, but my question is, is that a comment on Playing in, or does that have everything to do with playing in Arizona, uh, where which is both very warm and also uh, in which perhaps uh, you know is being played at altitude uh, at some level? Um, is that the reason for it, or does it have something to do? Is it a comment on um, the talent that is that is playing, where maybe just the quality of the hitting talent is better than that of the pitching talent?
1: I think the majority of it comes from the quality of the, the pitchers there and that's not to insult any of the pitchers who get assigned there but typically you see higher level prospects on the offensive side than on the pitching side there and again a lot of it comes down to the fact that teams don't want to risk injury with pitchers doing too much uh, especially when, when a pitcher's tired you know they're, they drop their arm they get out of their mechanics it's a lot Easier to suffer an injury as a pitcher if you're tired, I would say, than as a hitter, um, just because there's so much more going on with your body. And uh, so a lot of the players, when you do get a, a more talented player, pitcher show up in the league, it's because they've missed a good portion of the season and they want to get those innings back for them.
0: Right. All right. So yeah. So there's a it's a question of injury prevention, I guess. Right. Pitchers uh, are obviously going to be monitor, their use is going to be monitored much more carefully in this way. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Uh, and also in terms of assignments, um, we talked, you know, we asked, uh, I asked you about um, Byron Buxton briefly, uh, why Why the the team might assign him in there. I have noticed that um, in constructing, for me, in constructing leaderboards uh, in previous seasons, not just of the Arizona Fall League, but other winter leagues, like the Dominican Winter League, Venezuelan Winter League, uh, the Puerto Rican, et cetera, um, well, really, just the Mexican Pacific League is the only one. So, uh, ignore my, that, et cetera. I've said them all now. Um, it, it's not uncommon for um, certain prospects to be assigned to the Caribbean Leagues, um, of which those are the four. Uh, um, no, you know, in many cases, you also find older players in those leagues, right? So, like, I think you know, I mean, I remember Elvis Andres showing up there last year, and um, um, and other, uh, you know, other notable hitters. Hanley Ramirez played in the winter league last year. Uh, some pretty good players. Pablo Sandoval also made an appearance. Uh, but I do also uh, recall Carlos Correa, uh, the former, um, the former number one pick for the Houston Astros, also playing in the Puerto Rican league. Um, because he's Puerto Rican, this makes sense. Um, this year, though, for example, um, there's sort of there's a promising young pitcher in the um, um, in the San Francisco. Organization named Adalberto Mejia. Mejia, I think I'm saying his name right. Um, um, and there's another player who's I'd like to discuss, uh, who's uh, in the Houston organization, uh, Jafet Amador, a giant person, um, who was uh, just recently signed uh, from the Mexican League, who's also going to the Arizona Fall Lake. And I'm curious, uh, um, Mejia from the Dominican, Amador from from Mexico. What do you think of the, the teams their team's motivations for for sending those two players to the Arizona Fall League as opposed to the the Caribbean winter leagues where you know there might be a sort of comfort level as well Also furthermore, if you don't know the answer for it, uh, that's also uh, totally acceptable
1: <laughs> i I don't know for certain. Um, I would imagine that they teams would prefer to send players to the Arizona Fall League uh, because it's a little bit more regimented. And each organization has um, coaching representatives on the clubs, so they can send those coaches with specific instructions, you know, to watch out for specific things and to not let them do this or that, um, or to make sure that they do do certain things. Whereas with the winter leagues, generally speaking, you don't have active major league coaches and managers and whatnot heading those those clubs. So it's a little more of a, of a free for all in a way, mm-hmm. in that there's not nearly as much control over the players. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Hanley Ramirez got hurt playing in the Winter League last year, didn't he? Uh, year
0: it might have been Winter League. It might have also been um, the, um, uh, the Classic, the, the World. Oh, Baseball maybe classic. it was the Classic. Right. But uh, but, but it, it, yeah,
1: it's a similar thing, right? Like you don't ha- when you let players go off to the Winter or to the World baseball classic
0: mm-hmm. you don't
1: have quite as much control like like the winter leagues and you know I guess teams it would make sense that teams would prefer to have a little bit more control um, over certain players especially someone as talented as a Correa let's uh,
0: let's talk about some specific players I, I've mentioned Mejia and Amador I might want to return to, uh, to both those guys I want to start off uh first of all with Garen Cicchini um, and also just the the sort of not just Chakini himself but sort of what he represents and also you know his place uh his future place in the um um you know in the red sox organization if if he even has one uh, i i actually was uh myself i, I was having to think about Garen Chakini earlier today i i produced uh, i wrote up the uh the last edition of the fringe five uh, which uh, you may or may not know Mark Hewlett you may or may not know listener uh, was a, a you know um, a weekly exercise uh, intended to look at each week at players uh, prospects who had not appeared on any preseason top 100 lists. Chiquini uh, was a fixture early on or had certainly appeared early on or was a, certainly up for consideration much early on uh, less so later on uh, not because of his performance but because he wasn't really a fringe prospect anymore uh, i think you know by the end of may he already appeared on uh, keith law's top uh, Top lists. Um, I don't know where he necessarily fit in on your mid-season list, uh, Hewitt. Where, where would he have fit in there?
1: Uh, you're testing me here. I'd well, just
0: a, just a basic, a basic. I mean, what is your appraisal of him now? I guess as a prospect.
1: Uh, appraisal as a prospect is he's he's definitely a top 10 prospect in the Red Sox organization. I, I don't think I had him on the top 50. Okay. Um, if I recall correctly, um, I know I had I think five Red Sox.
0: Okay yeah now would he be something like would he still would he be a top hundred for you you think when you when you oh
1: I would say he's definitely um, a good chance at making the second half of the top one hundred
0: okay all right yeah, and that's and I think that uh, it's fair to say that that's higher that's higher uh, than where he started the season,
1: oh absolutely um I think I was pretty high on him entering the season um, I know I spoke to a couple of people I know um, I know Newman. When he was writing for us, he wasn't as uh, much of a fan of Chikini as I was. Um, and he had made comments in that regard. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was definitely a, a supporter of him. You know, a lot of people look to the fact that he doesn't have the prototypical power that a third baseman, that you would normally look for from a third baseman. Mm-hmm. And with the Red Sox having that, you know, players with more traditional profiles for the position like um like Xander and, and Middlebrooks he kinda gets forgotten sometimes I guess. And right. and understandably so because he's he's maybe he's definitely not up there with <laughs> with Xander and um I guess the jury's out a bit on Middlebrooks.
0: Right, so I actually mean interested sort of in, in particular because they're on the same team, but the difference in the profiles and the difference in the futures of of Will Middlebrooks and Garan Chikini. So, mm-hmm. so Middlebrooks is a player who um, has demonstrated thus far um, pretty uh, pretty ex- uh, pretty excellent display of power um, on contact, right? And you know when he makes contact, uh, he does a good job at hitting the ball pretty far. Uh, I think he's got uh, 15 home runs, something like that, as of this moment, and just a little over 300 plate appearances. Uh, you know, he's got a, an ISO that's above 200, an isolated uh, slugging, that should be, uh, sl- you know, slugging minus, um, uh, slugging minus, uh, batting average. Uh, he, he's good at hitting the ball, but the problem is, um both his strikeout rate, which is above 25%, and also, uh, just how he presents himself uh, carries himself, you know, during plate appearances. His pitch recognition is not excellent. And, uh, beyond that, maybe his just ability to make contact on pitches generally is not excellent. Chicchini is almost uh, the exact opposite, right? Chicchini controls the strike zone very well, uh, makes a lot of contact, walks a bunch, uh, and doesn't have great power. I'm curious for you, uh, if, you know, for you, wh- how do you, uh, sort of um, organize those two skills, integrate those two skills into your appraisal of any prospect. So, like a Middlebrooks, for example, if you see someone like him who does have such excellent power on contact, but maybe doesn't necessarily uh, have an idea of the strike zone or, or doesn't make a lot of contact, generally, how do you how do you integrate that into your appraisal of a prospect?
1: Uh, it's difficult, and and before I get into it, I'm just going to say I actually did have Chikini at, at number 45 on the midseason.
0: All right, there you go. Well, it's been resolved, that situation.
1: And there you go. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I mean, to compare the two players, because they're kind of almost exact opposites in the type of game that they present um, with Middlebrooks, as you mentioned, having difficult making contact, but possessing, you know, above average power, and then, Chicchini having below average power for the position but having an above average eye um, so you kind of just have to look at the player as a whole um, and envision what kind of package overall they're gonna put, they're gonna be able to produce um, so again, you look at someone like chicchini he's gonna have a he's gonna hit for a good average and he's gonna have a very high on base percentage. Um, and then you're going to look at Middlebrooks, who's going to have a lower average, a lower on-base percentage, but he's going to drive in a lot of runs. So for me, um, it's easier to project a player to um, to learn to make a little bit better contact than it is to learn to become a power hitter, if they don't already have sort of the body and the raw power that they display maybe in in um, batting practice and and whatnot. So. Between the two profiles, I tend to prefer the Chikini profile over the Middlebrooks, Middlebrooks profile because I find that um, I guess I'm a little bit—I prefer the safer player mm-hmm. a lot of times over the the lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And it a lot of times it it comes to um, sort of envisioning you know maybe how many how many wins that player is going to be worth in their prime and then looking at how likely they are going to be to reach it. And then I that would be sort of how I, I compare the two players.
0: Now with a player like Middlebrooks, he seems to be an interesting case, right, where you have on the one hand you have an idea about, about his raw power, and then you have an idea about his usable power or game power. Um, and and there, there's a gap there, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. What are the things for you, what are the things you're looking for uh, in, um, in terms of how players can close that gap and maybe what, what uh, I guess, what they might show in the present um, that, that gives you an idea of whether they could or could not close that gap in the future?
1: I think a lot of it comes down to consistency. Um, does the player show the skills to make consistent contact? Like, do they go through stretches where maybe two or three weeks they're just... They're just on the ball you know, on every pitch, and and they're driving the ball with authority. And then maybe they have a bad couple of weeks. You know, are they are they streaky players? Do they show the ability that it's there? It's just a matter of tapping into it on a regular basis. Um, so that's kind of what I look for. So you never want necessarily a streaky player, but for me, streaky players show more potential than someone who's hot and cold every other day. Um, so that's kind of what I look for personally is, or are, are those hot and cold stretches, and, and whether or not those players have it, or if they're just all over the map all the time.
0: Okay, um, I'd like to, to talk about a player who maybe resembles Cicchini, um superficially, at least uh, in terms of um, in terms of his profile, and that's Ryan Brett of Tampa Bay. Uh, Brett will be playing uh, this this fall uh, for. The Salt River Rafters. The Rivers of Salt, the Rafters of Salt River. Um, who play actually at the, uh, the Salt River facility, I assume, which is a very nice facility. The uh, Diamondbacks Rockies play there, uh, in, during the spring. Uh, Brett is, uh, <clears throat> oh no, I lied, uh, wait, I lied to you from right from the beginning. We're talking about Brent Keys. Yeah. Let's talk about Brent Keys instead. No, yeah, it was very much a lie. He plays for Glendale. He's going to be playing for Glendale, uh, as you point out. Um, uh, he is going to be um, uh, he's going to be a roster decision uh, um, at some point. Uh, he, he's uh, eligible for the Rule Five Draft. Uh, the Marlins will be will be considering whether they should keep him or not. Um, he's interesting also in the sense that he, uh, as you note. Um, was selected uh, as having the best strike zone judgment in the Florida State League um, among players um, among yeah among players, but he had the best strike zone. Two, this was the the best tool series. Uh, I remember uh, this. This has to do with recently. I was looking over uh, the Baseball America handbook from 2006, um, which is relevant insofar as the fact that Ben Zobrist in that in that book was, I believe the 16th-ranked prospect for the Houston Astros, right? This is, of course, the same Ben Zobrist who, uh, over the last five years or so, has probably been one of the top players in all baseball uh, so far as war is concerned. Uh, one of the uh, notes that uh, the editors of Baseball America make in the, in, in the uh, capsule, the player profile for Ben Zobrist, is that he was uh, he was uh, voted as having the best strike zone judgment in um, whatever league he was playing at the time <clears throat> here's a question to you and this does someone realize that discussion of what Brooks and Chikini is is if there's a tool if you could choose one tool um what would it be in terms of those those um those exercises, this exercise that Baseball America has, what would be your choice of tools? Would it be strikes zone judgment? Would it be best raw power? Would it be best defense, best arm, whatever? If
1: I had to choose one tool? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a tough question. Um, I guess if I had to choose one tool on a prospect, and I'm assuming this is one of the tools. You didn't mention it, but it would be the the, the player's hit tool. Okay. Um because I think that's sort of the basis for a good player is the ability to hit. And then you sort of round out the player by adding the other abilities to that with the strike zone judgment, with the power, and that sort of thing.
0: And the hit tool is, what is this, just the ability to barrel the ball?
1: Yeah, so it would be how likely are they to hit for a good a good average and how likely are they to be a good a good hitter just in general.
0: Okay. So a hit tool I guess it I guess it seems to me if we were to look at it, the question a different way players who were chosen as uh, the, the best in the league uh, demonstrating the best strikes on judgment as their tool do you think that we would notice anything about about those sorts of players that maybe they performed better or worse than we might have otherwise expected given the collection of the rest of their tools or does it say or does it say exactly what um, does it mean exactly what it says? This is the player who at that time in that league demonstrated the best strike zone judgment. Uh, carry on.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot that can really be read into it. Um, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily always agree with um, the players who win the awards. You have to look at who's, who's voting on the awards as well. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's opposing managers, minor league managers who vote, so... Anytime you get a you know a, a, a vote like that, you're getting people who are seeing other players at varying degrees. So there's going to be some managers who see, say, a Brent Keys play 20 games a season, and the other ones are only going to see him play maybe five. Whereas then they're going to see other players play more. So, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting category to be able to say. You know, this is the player with the best tool. But, I, you know, I don't know how much stock you can truly put into it, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a good conversation starter, and it's something good to look at to start looking at a player. You know, if if you're hearing a lot of people think he has a great strike strike zone judgment, then start looking at that player in that area, and then kind of go work your way out from there. Beyond that, I don't put a ton of value into it.
0: Now, with regard to Keyes himself, uh, what sort of player are we looking at here? Um, this is uh, – I, 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 I think you could say with um, some assurance, this is not a top prospect, uh, but he has demonstrated, um, obviously, extra strikes on judgment. He's also has not been particularly old. He's, uh, he was 22 uh, this year, played the majority of the season at uh, high A, which is uh, somewhat reasonable in terms of age relative to level, uh, made his way to double A to end the season, uh, where his slash stats were not perfect uh but um um pr- uh, still promising and he, he almost walked twice as much as he struck out and uh and he played uh he plays outfield um was given majority of his starts in left uh, as opposed to center uh, which suggests maybe he's not the most athletic but uh what sort of what sort of player do we have here uh, in brent keys is this, this one uh, who would make sense for the, the marlins to add to their 40 man roster
1: I don't know if it makes sense for the Marlins to do it simply because I think I noted in the article that the Marlins have eleven outfielders on their forty man roster right now, and I mean obviously there's probably gonna be some um, attrition on there they're gonna have free agents they're gonna have players that you know they just don't want on there any longer that are gonna get released um so i but I don't know if keys is is a guy that really they need to protect I think he's a guy who could definitely be useful for someone um, being that he played the majority of his of his games in 2013 at high a ball um, he's probably not ready to step into an everyday lineup i don't know if he'll ever be ready to step into an everyday lineup um, he's he's one of those players who has um, helpful skill set um, he hits left-handed he plays good defense he can play all three outfield positions he can run a little bit He's shown the ability to hit for average. He's, as a you know, we sort of touched on. He's shown the ability to, to get on base at a, at a really impressive clip, um, over 400 in Double A this year, um, and, and he's just the type of player who really rounds out a, a 25-man roster um, nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's the type of player who can be valuable now to a team, whether it's just as a defensive replacement and a pinch runner but at 22 he still has a little bit of upside in him and that he could end up being a little bit better maybe than we think he he's going to be and maybe he can have a few seasons kind of like a Reed Johnson where he's more of a fourth outfielder but he could probably play a couple years as a regular and and play at least league average
0: is this kind of like the uh, the David DeJesus skill set uh, the, the the player who is going to make a lot of contact and have you know better than average defense in a corner but not but not uh, anything but you know maybe average at best in center in is in is valuable in so far as all that's the case or maybe is is david de jesus kind of like the the upper bound of this sort of player or maybe uh, maybe it's a brett gardner or something like that i'd i'd say
1: that the uh, de jesus um, comparison is is a fair one
0: yeah and uh, of course de jesus has made a career out of uh, helping teams or producing more value uh, than he's being paid. He, he's probably not stoked about it, <laughs> one assumes. Yeah. Um, uh, let's start – hey, so what's uh, – what has Danny Holson been up to? This is a former uh, uh, very high draft pick out of uh, – what was he? Out of Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. I think he probably threw in no hitter at one point. Um, I'm either recalling that or just assuming it. Um Let's not, let's not bother to pursue that line. No, I, in fact, he did. Uh, yeah, and he's been a, a top prospect across baseball, at least, you uh, top 20, top 30. Uh, but he, uh, he threw very few innings this year. And I, I guess the question is, um, well, he's been, he's been what? He's been part of this sort of a triumvirate of impressive Mariners pitchers. Um, him and Taiwan Walker and James Paxton. James Paxton. Um, but uh, as is likely to happen with triumvirates of pitchers, um, and of course, ask the uh, what the uh, mid to late '90s Texas Rangers about this, late '90s Texas Rangers about this. They had what Edinson Volquez, John Danks, and um, um, Thomas Diamond. Uh, these the, these triumvirates don't always work out uh, the way the way they're expected to. Uh, wh- what is Danny Holtz's sort of status at this point?
1: Um, last update I had was that he was mostly throwing bullpens, um, working on strengthening and keeping the shoulder healthy. Um, he got into one game right at the end of the year at Triple A, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe he um, pitched out of. Oh no, actually, you know what? He did. I'm just looking it up, and he made a two-inning start on September 1st, and that was the first appear- official appearance he'd made since uh, late June. So, for the most part, he's just been sort of under rest and rehab um, and then I guess they got him in there at the end of the year, uh, maybe more of a vote of confidence uh, for himself um, and uh you know I guess they're they're hoping he'll go off to the Arizona Fall League and, as we mentioned earlier, catch up on some of those missed innings and hopefully not aggravate the injury
0: right and and now uh, if I'm not mistaken, Holson's probably. If not this moment, uh, generally speaking, he's one of the most sort of highly thought of prospects. To I mean, besides uh, the the Buxton sorts and and maybe uh, Kyle Crick, um, who is going to be there from the Giants, he's sort of in that upper tier though of prospect, uh, despite the fact that he's been injured.
1: He is. I would say it's fair to still call him the top left-handed pitching prospect in the minors. Um, There right now, there's kind of a sort of a lack of high-level southpaws in the minors. Um, High-level Southpaws, and and he's still deserving of that honor. So,
0: absolutely, he's a, he's a top prospect. Um, another another pitcher who uh, uh, has been highly thought of at points is uh, is Taylor Youngman. He's a right-hander uh, for the uh, in the Milwaukee system, and he was actually taken in that same draft uh, as as Holson. Uh, Holson was drafted second overall. Youngman was uh, not selected. Many picks later, he was 12th overall, and he's had a a, a weird minor league career. And, and of course, um, um, I mean to say he'll be playing for surprise uh, in the AFL. Um, he's had a weird career insofar as he's just been sort of disappointing. We expect uh, pitchers, um, especially those who were selected at, uh, you know, in the in the highest ranks, like Holson, if they're going to. To run into difficulties, it's going to seem to be based on an injury, whereas Jungman just seems to um, to have just been kind of a blah type pitching prospect.
1: Yeah, and he was one guy who when I when I made calls last winter, when I was doing the top fifteen prospect list, um, I had a, him a little bit lower originally than I than I put him after speaking with uh, some people in the Brewers organization, and, and they told me that last year. They really told him to forget about your stats. Don't worry about what they look at. Here's what we want you to work on, and we want you to focus on this in the game, even if you're using it in situations where you normally wouldn't. We just want you to to get better at throwing, you know, this pitch. It was his curveball. And so, you know, it it makes sense. It's not unusual for an organization to do that with a player. And uh, so I was was really expecting, okay, um, you know, They they saw some improvement, so we're going to see some improvement in 2013. And and obviously, the the exact opposite happened, and his K to walk rate absolutely um, just
0: plummeted. Ugly, barely above one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, um, this is not promising, and it's also uh, not promising the sense that uh, you know we've seen pitchers before who will have that profile, but it's because they're striking out. A batter per inning, which is at least they're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in this case, uh, um, Jungman is not really striking out uh, all that many batters, uh, just above five per nine, and is uh, walking nearly as many.
1: So yeah, he's putting a, a ton of a ton of balls in play, a ton or, of players on
0: base. Yeah, and so the thing, um, so the question with with that is, is, is this the sort of thing that ha- can happen? I mean, maybe Luke Ho- Hochaver... Uh, and produce this sort of line, but it seems as though if you're picking a, if you're taking a pitcher, um, and perhaps it's because Jungman's a college pitcher, although uh, Holson was the same thing, uh, you, you're taking a college pitcher, but you're taking a pitcher high in the first round, first half of the first round. Do we expect this sort of pitcher to have stuff uh, to be able to miss bats?
1: It depends on the organization. Um, some some organizations are comfortable with taking players who are, I guess, what you would call polished. Um and who can maybe step into a big league rotation within a year and and hold their own even if their you know their their ceiling is maybe a, a number three starter uh, more likely a number four guy um whereas other organizations really want when they take a first round pick they really want that impact player which makes sense um especially with the the draft the way it is now with the signing restrictions you've got less of a chance, generally speaking, to gamble later in the draft that you can find a sort of a diamond in the rough. So, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you don't want a guy who's going to profile as a number three or four guy. You, you want someone who's who's going to come in and be a uh, a key cog in the starting rotation or whatever role he's going to, to do.
0: And uh, b- before I let you go, because... Uh, um you appear to have fulfilled your obligation to, uh, to Fangos Audio. Congratulations, Mark Hewlett. Uh, or at least you're, you're, you're near to it. The, um I want to play you, uh, ask you about another player. Uh, he's been assigned to Salt River. Uh, that, that's not a lie. Uh, <clears throat> 23 years old presently from South Africa. Uh, gift Enwipe. I believe is how his last name is pronounced. Enwipe. Uh, uh unique in the sense that uh, he's one of very few uh, africans ever uh, south africans ever included in that uh, to to sign a professional contract and uh, the first black south african uh and of course uh, you know that gets into uh, implications about that sort of that particular country's um, uh, difficult path uh what 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 is sort of um he, he was signed i guess at the italian academy it uh, takes place near Pisa. What is, what is in Wepe's profile at this point, and do we consider him differently, um because we assume that, you know, perhaps, you know, obviously his, uh, his development has been, uh, has been a, uh, of a different sort than most other players who will have, uh, you know, come up through even, you know, even in the Latin American academies or, or certainly through the United States?
1: Yeah, I think he's a guy that you, you have to give a certain amount of, you have to give him a little bit more rope than some players, um just because of his background, like you said i mean he, it's not like he's from uh, Florida or California where he, you know he's playing baseball uh twelve months out of the year since the you know he was four or five years old um, He comes from an area where um, you know baseball isn't really popular at all uh, from what I understand and um, so the fact that he is able to at times you know hold his own as a, as a league average player is pretty impressive and it speaks to his, his raw athleticism. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who's got a nice, a nice profile when you look at him. He's athletic. He's a switch hitter. He's got an excellent uh, glove at shortstop. He plays a premium position. And um, with his athleticism, there's no reason why he couldn't handle multiple other positions. Because, you know, as, as much improvement as he's shown or potentially shown in small samples it's really hard to project him, you know, suddenly having a light click on become a, a star player. So he's a guy that you really want to look at as a, realistically, as a utility player in the future. Um, he's probably going to be maybe a John McDonald type guy who um, isn't really going to offer much on offense at all. Um, but he's going to go in and, and make some jaw-dropping plays uh, when he gets an opportunity to play. And, you know, maybe he doesn't... uh stick and, and do a 10-year career or something but maybe he has a respectable five or six year career as a as a backup middle infielder
0: the 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 sort of uh, international uh, prospect pool it, and this is the one not including uh, you know sort of the uh, the Dominican the Venez, uh, you know, Venezuela Venezuela um, is, uh, is always interesting uh, because there's a lot of world out there besides Uh, You know, the baseball being played professionally in the United States and and Japan. Um, The Royals, of course, this year signed uh, Martin Gasparini, uh, a a shortstop, or at least presently a shortstop, uh, for over a million dollars. I think it was the largest given to a European player, largest bonus given to a European player. We've seen Alex Liddy uh, uh, play, uh, not very much at the major league level. We've seen... uh, um, we've certainly seen some, at least players of Dutch descent, although many of them are from Curacao. Um, Max There's Kepler, Ma- what's that? I was just going to say Max Kepler out of Germany. Right, Max Kepler out of Germany is uh, also of note. I'm curious, though, f- for you, what are you seeing in terms of not only potential prospects coming out of um, Europe, where that's been a, it's been off and on, mostly off, Um but also Africa, which is a giant place, and uh, India, which is a big country, and uh, you know, and um, China, which is an even gianter, bigger country. Is, is are there any inroads being made there um, besides the sort of um, ones of novelty?
1: I believe that there are. I, I mean, from what I understand, Major League Baseball is working really hard to expand the academies and the showcases. Um, in those areas and teams like the the pirates um, signing players they signed a couple of players a few years ago out of india yeah, they signed um you know obviously a player out of the trio camp in italy um, so you have your teams like that uh, the minnesota twins are another one where they're they're more apt to go um to a, a more unusual area um The Indians do a lot of work out of Taiwan. I mean, it's more of a a baseball hotbed than some of the areas we're talking about. But there are certain teams that like to focus on different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, it it is an untapped wealth, if you think about it. It's a matter of going out there, uh, Major League Baseball going out there, promoting the sport, um, donating equipment. You look at the Dominican Republic, it wasn't a hotbed for talent until the late 70s, early 80s, and it was really the Toronto Blue Jays who started tapping into that, and they signed a ton of of Latin America players who came over and and became stars, and other teams realized that, yeah, there's a lot of talent here that's pretty relatively low risk, and academies started popping up all over the place in a relatively short period of time, so there's no reason why that sort of thing can't happen in other countries. Europe is a little bit more difficult than than the Dominican perhaps because, you know, you've got such a uh, strong following in, in other sports like um, American football. Whereas with the Dominican, they didn't from... At like start, European, I know like didn't,
0: European football.
1: Yeah, sorry, European football. Yeah, they have their own football, um, apparently. Yeah, European football <laughs> is what I meant. Yeah. Um, so so there's that that sort of... I guess, obstacle in in the European side of things. Um, And I don't know if areas like China have a a really popular sport as well, Um, but there's that to take into consideration as well. Um, Soccer, I believe, is really popular in India as
0: well. Soccer and, uh, in particular, cricket. cricket. Yeah, cricket. Cricket, And probably games uh, we've never heard of because... uh, we're North Americans, <laughs> yeah. so
1: so there's that consideration, but I think definitely it's an end market for sure.
0: Okay, well there you go. Uh, does it feel good, Mark Hewlett? We've done it. Anything else to say about the Arizona Fall League? If not, you're dismissed.
1: Uh, I don't think so. Um, other than I'd love to see uh, Major League Baseball start to uh, um, air some of the games on on TV.
0: Truly, yeah. I think that at this point cool. we get what we get. Like a mid, we get like the All Stars. AFL All Stars or Rising Stars game, yeah, and then uh, maybe the championship game. But uh, it would be nice to see some of those, especially with a nice camera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, have a nice camera. Anyway, thank you very much, Mark Hewlett, uh, uh, prospect, uh, prospect writer, longtime prospect writer for Fangraphs. Thanks, Carson. Yeah, that's been Mark Hewlett. I'm Carson Cecchelli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.